Well, there you go. One of my favourite flash mobs of all time. But can you imagine? You're down at Chatswood Chase. You're in the food court. You're taking a little break from all your Christmas shopping, having a bite to eat, when all of a sudden somebody sitting nearby you stands up and starts singing at the top of their voice, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. And then before you know it, all these other people are standing up too. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. How bizarre would that be? I mean, not exactly an everyday occurrence, is it? But then there is something really quite impressive about that song, isn't there? Uh, the, the Alleluia Chorus, I mean. Something particularly stirring and, and, and emotional about it. Don't you agree? And I guess that's why it's become such a famous song. But hey, I wonder how much you really know about the Hallelujah Chorus. Well, don't fear, because I'm here this morning to give you the facts on the Hallelujah Chorus. Because, well, you know me and classical music. Um, <coughs> we're at one with one another, it's true. Okay, so here for you this morning, the facts on the Hallelujah Chorus, thanks to Wikipedia. <laughs> For starters, you might be interested to know that the Alleluia Chorus was actually written in the year 1741 by George Frederick Handel as part of his musical or <clears throat> oratorio. Yes, oratorio, not Ontario, that's a city in Canada, okay? Not Oreo, that's a chocolate biscuit. But a part of his musical or oratorio named Messiah. No, not the Messiah. That's a common mistake, everybody. It's just called Messiah. So he wrote the Hallelujah Chorus as part of his musical oratorio named Messiah. And it is a musical that has a total of 53 songs or <clears throat> movements in it, of which the Hallelujah Chorus is just one. Now get this. Apparently Handel composed all 53 movements in just 24 days. Wow, can you believe that? Just 24 days. Quite extraordinary, um, especially considering all the extra time that he must have put into getting his hair to look like that <laughs> every day. That's some do, isn't it? Whew, very impressive. And another interesting fact for you is that Handel actually wrote Messiah with the intention of it being performed at Easter time. Now, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because it's, it's actually become a much-loved Christmas tradition now. And so it's at Christmas time that CD sales and web downloads of Handel's Messiah really skyrocket, and concert halls all around the world schedule its performance. And so uh, it was playing at the Sydney Opera House just a week or so ago, and it's also just finished playing at the Sydney Town Hall as well for the 73rd year, believe it or not. And, and, and here's something else interesting for you. Uh, the lyrics, the words of the entire Messiah come pretty much straight out of the Bible. And the Hallelujah Chorus is no exception. I wonder if you knew that. Yeah, the words of the Hallelujah Chorus come from three verses in the Bible, uh, straight out of the book of Revelation. And this morning, I just want to spend a little bit of time uh, thinking about these three verses together. 
because they are three verses that are really quite significant when you think about them. So let's get started, shall we? All right then, think with me. How does the Alleluia Chorus begin? That's right, well done. It begins with all those Alleluias. And then well, it goes on to say... That's right. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Now those words come straight out of the Bible, straight out of Revelation chapter 19 verse 6 from the old King James version of the Bible. Uh, That's why the English here is a little bit odd. It's old English. But when we look at the context of this verse, we see that these words in Revelation are actually spoken by a huge crowd in heaven. A huge crowd standing around God's throne at the end of history, shouting at the top of their lungs, Hallelujah! 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 Which simply means, praise God. That's what the word hallelujah means, praise God. So you see, it's a a joyful exclamation of of honour and exultation directed towards God. Hallelujah! But what's got this crowd so excited? Well, it then goes on to tell us. It says, hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Now, in modern English, it might might read something like, praise God, because the Lord God Almighty reigns. See, that's why the crowd is shouting God's praises, because they know he is omnipotent, or in words we actually understand, they know that he is almighty, uh, all-powerful, invincible, unstoppable. And they praise him because he reigneth, or reigns. That is, they praise him because he's the king, uh, the boss, the ruler, the sovereign lord of all. But interestingly here, in this verse, there's the sense that God has now begun to reign. Hmm, Now that is interesting, isn't it? I mean, hasn't God always reigned? Well, in one sense, yes, of course he has. But there's another sense in which God has, for a time, allowed others to reign. Not because he wants them to reign, but simply because he's allowed them to. See, it goes all the way back to Adam and Eve uh, in the Garden of Eden, where you might remember God created people to live under his loving rule, with him as the king. But remember what happened? Adam and Eve broke the one rule that God gave them. Do not eat the fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. But of course, what happened? They did it. And for Adam and Eve, it was a declaration of independence from God, a mutiny, a rebellion, a rejection of God's rightful rule over them. And so it has been for every human being since that time. See, none of us like to be told what to do. None of us like to be told how to live our lives, least of all by God. And so we've all rebelled against him 
in lots of different ways. We've each declared our independence from God. It's kind of like we've stolen God's crown from him and put it on our own little heads. Established our own little kingdoms. Acted as though we reigneth and not him. And for a time, God has allowed it. But in this verse, we see that that time has now ended. That now God, in his omnipotence, in his almighty power, has taken back his crown. He's brought an end to the rebellion. He's quashed the mutiny. He's destroyed his enemies. And so now he reigns in the fullest sense. But hang on a second. Let's think about the logic of that for a moment. Because if we are all rebels, like I just said, and God here is, to set, is, is set to destroy all his enemies, then don't you think that ought to be just a slight cause for concern for us? Don't you think that ought to just cause us to worry a little bit? I'm sure you agree it hardly seems like reason to sing hallelujah, does it? It's like, hallelujah, yay, wow, we're all going to get crushed in the hand of God, woohoo. That doesn't make sense, does it? Should, so should we be worried or not? Well, that depends. Because there's more to be said here. And we see it in the next part of the hallelujah chorus. In the next part of the hallelujah chorus where we hear... lifted directly from Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, where again we hear a great heavenly crowd shouting, but this time they shout, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. See, here there's the kingdom of the world... In other words, that rebellious kingdom of people like you and me who have declared our independence from God. But here we see that God has now reclaimed that kingdom for himself. In other words, he's ended the rebellion. And now the kingdom of the world is his once again. But look at who else possesses this kingdom here. See, it's the kingdom of our Lord. It's become the kingdom of our Lord, God. And of his Christ. And that's significant. Because over the centuries, God promised that one day he would send his Christ, his special king, his special saving king. He promised that he would come, that he would send him to reclaim the kingdom of the world for God and then reign over it forever as God's appointed king. Of course, it was at that very first Christmas, 2,000 years ago, when God's Christ, his Messiah King, came into this world, just as God promised. It was, of course, 
Jesus Christ. And that's why maybe you noticed in our first Bible reading this morning from Luke chapter 1, we heard the angel Gabriel say to Mary, he said, the Lord God will give him, Jesus, the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. See, Jesus would be the one through whom all rebellion would end. The one through whom God's kingdom would be re-established. But how did Jesus do that? Well, that's the extraordinary thing. Because Jesus didn't just come and simply destroy all us rebels, as he so easily could have. But instead, the baby Jesus grew up. And then as a man died on a cross in the place of rebels like you and me, facing our punishment so that we could go free. But what kind of all-powerful, invincible, omnipotent Christ dies for his enemies? Well, the kind who loves rebels enough to do whatever it takes to give them the opportunity to be forgiven, that they might be then invited back into God's kingdom to start afresh. See, he's the all-powerful, omnipotent, invincible king who lovingly died for rebels like you and me. Not that Jesus remained dead, of course, oh no. Three days later, God raised Jesus from the dead. That Jesus might now rule as king of the world forever. Of course, earlier this year, we saw the birth of another baby boy, didn't we? Who will one day, God willing, be king. Of course, Prince George, uh, the son of William and Kate... But you know, if and when little Prince George ever gets crowned King of England, do you know what his title will be? Do you know what he'll be known as? Well, assuming that he sticks with his own name, George, he'll be known as King George VII. That's right, the seventh. Do you know why? Because all the other King Georges that lived before him died before him. And when their lives ended, so did their rule. And sadly, so too will it be with little Prince George here. But in this verse, we see that Jesus will now reign forever and ever. Having beaten death, Jesus, the good and loving King, will now reign for all eternity. And he now invites rebels like you and me, to be a part of that never-ending, never-dying, forever-good kingdom of God. So what do we need to do now? Well, I think the final phrase from the Alleluia Chorus makes it very clear for us what we need to do. The final phrase where it describes Jesus as the... That's right. Did you hear it? 
describes Jesus as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. A direct quote from Revelation chapter 19, verse 16. See, friends, that's Jesus' title. And it'll last forever. And so obviously now all people everywhere need to acknowledge Jesus as their king, to acknowledge him as their Lord, to willingly take off our little crowns and hand them back to Jesus, who alone is worthy of them. You know, it reminds me of one final interesting fact about the Alleluia Chorus. And maybe you know that there's a a tradition of rising to your feet, of, of standing during live performances of the Alleluia Chorus. Did you know that? It's a tradition tradition that actually dates all the way back to the London premiere of Handel's Messiah. Apparently another King George of England, uh, this time King George II, was there in the crowd that night. And when he heard the Alleluia Chorus being performed for the very first time, he was apparently so overcome with emotion that he spontaneously rose to his feet. And of course, when kings stand, everyone stands. And so the audience immediately rose to its feet too. And so began the tradition that's been followed by generations. Uh, Many people believe that George II rose to his feet not because of the power of the music, but because of the power of those words declaring Jesus as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, that George stood in order to acknowledge that there was another ruler who superseded even himself. Mind you, there is another story that says that George had simply lost track of when intermission started. And that it was his bladder and not his soul that made him stand up so enthusiastically. But regardless of how that custom really started, the truth remains, doesn't it? Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And there is now no one anywhere who does not owe him full allegiance See, friends, Jesus is not just worthy of standing up for during a song. Nor is he only worthy of us giving him some thought at Christmas time or Easter. No, he is worthy of our everything. Everything we are and everything we have is worthy of being your king. He's worthy of being your Lord. After Jesus rose from the dead, he left our world and went back to be with God, his Father. There, God made him the king of the whole world. And now one day, King Jesus will return. He will judge everyone who continues to declare their independence from God. But he will joyfully welcome his forgiven friends and followers, into his good kingdom forever. So, friend, do you see? Do you see why the appropriateness of us singing hallelujah today depends on our relationship with King Jesus? 
Because if we haven't asked Jesus to forgive our rebellion, if we haven't submitted ourselves to his lordship, then we will not be a part of his good kingdom forever. But we will be destroyed as God's enemies. But if we have come to Jesus and in him found that wonderful forgiveness that he so freely offers us, and if we have bowed our knee to him as the king of our lives, then, friends, we have every reason to sing hallelujah with all of our hearts. In fact, when we truly understand and accept all that King Jesus has done for us, you know what? Suddenly it doesn't seem all that strange at all to, I don't know, even stand up in the middle of a crowded shopping centre food court and cry out at the top of your lungs, hallelujah, hallelujah. Suddenly it doesn't seem out of place at all. Almost strange not to do it. But then maybe you, like me, don't actually have the nerve or the vocal talent to pull something like that off. That's okay. And so, friend, maybe you'd like to, like me, would like to try something a little bit different this Christmas. Maybe we can encourage one another to take the opportunity this Christmas day, I don't know, to flash mob our friends and families when we see them today. Not necessarily in song, but to flash mob them with the good news, the great news, that the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, that his Christ has reclaimed the kingdom of the world for himself and now reigns over it forever, that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, our loving saviour, who graciously invites rebels like you and me to find forgiveness in him so that we might be a part of his wonderful kingdom forever. So, friend, this Christmas, I say to you, join the chorus. Join the chorus. And together, let's give God the praises that he's due. sing like that. <laughs> Let's pray. Dear God, indeed on this Christmas morning we declare hallelujah for we acknowledge that we have each rejected your rightful rule in our lives, that we have rebelliously declared our independence from you. God, we know that we were once destined for destruction until you stepped in. And so we say hallelujah and thank you for the way you sent Jesus into this world as our saving Christ, that he might die in our place, that we might find forgiveness through him. Our oh, Father, we praise Jesus as the eternal king who now reigns without equal. And God, we submit to him this day as the Lord of our lives. Father, we pray that we would now live lives of thanks and praise to you calling on others to join us as your forgiven people who shall now enjoy the blessings of your wonderful kingdom forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.